When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome everybody and we're back. So I really all I did this week was read a book separate from from business and League of Legends. <laughs> nice. The this book is by the last psychiatrist who is a legend on the internet. If you read anything uh used to be Slate Star Codex, it's now Astral Codex 10. Uh he influenced Tucker Max, he influenced one of the head writers on crack.com. He is in Tim Ferriss, too, right? I don't know if it, he might have influenced Tim Ferriss. Uh, he like he's like the guy behind the, the guy. He's the guy behind the guy for a lot of uh, bloggers on the internet. And he disappeared for eight years, just stopped writing on his blog. Still, it was getting traffic. And then out of nowhere, under a pseudonym, which he'd used before, releases a book that he mentioned he was going to release on Amazon with no announcement. How did you know? My friend who was obsessed with this guy contacted me. How did he know? I don't know. <laughs> but this is the thing. He's He's got a raving base and he is... I don't think he's right about everything. In fact, he's probably wrong about a lot, but he's the most unique and interesting thinker on the internet, like contemporary internet thinker. Everybody else is uh, very similar. You know, you're a Republican, you're a Democrat. He's, he's just different. So I read his book, which What's is it called, well, I can't really say it because it's sadly comma prawn, but you mix the O and the R. Pornography. <laughs> it's Why called, can't you say it? Because then I'll get demonetized. Oh. Yeah, I'm I didn't not, know that. Well, too late now. <laughs> uh, you can't say that early. Yeah, you don't. That's not a good word. So anyway, so he's got. Uh, I have. I'm thirty percent of the way through the book. It's like a thousand pages. It's got very it. long, and he covers a lot of different things. I'm gonna hit some of them at random that I thought were interesting. A uh, couple points that he makes. There are in our collective consciousness. I mentioned one to you. These things that we reference, like Oedipus, uh, mm-hmm. like Scrooge, like. I'm trying to think of the other ones that he does. He he talks about these primary sources, but he points out, I think, correctly that, in quotes, no one has read the primary source. Like, no one has read Sophocles. No one's read Dickens. But we think we know about this. And we know about this from secondary interpretations of the primary source. Yeah, I know the Scrooge story. I saw uh, it on TV. Yeah, exactly. I'm well-versed. <laughs> yes. And what he does is he goes back, and I actually, uh, I feel like one that I caught that I was very proud of in my own life was the Genesis story of of the apple in the Garden of Eden. Like, very few people have read that. We've all heard it. When I read it, it, which stuck out to me, was that the first liar in the history of the universe is God. and Not the, the snake. Not the snake. The snake tells him the truth, which is that, hey, God told you that if you eat from the tree of knowledge that you will surely die this day. That's not true. You will become like him and know good and evil. Also, there's this other tree, which is the tree of life. And if you eat from both of those, you'll truly be a God. And that's what terrifies him the most. And when God then kicks Adam and Eve out of the, the garden, he's like, oh, I can't let them have that other tree or else I'll be in deep shit. Like he has a, an aside, which just confirms this fearful nature, uh, fearful, selfish nature of this God. And then he, you know, punishes them from, uh, for disobeying his orders, which are predicated on a lie. And if you read this and walk away thinking like, oh, I worship that, that guy, it, it almost seemed to me when I read it to be, like, hey, man, don't trust anything that this guy does for the rest of this book, <laughs> which was interesting. 
Uh, but think, I haven't. Yeah, you thought it was if you were reading a fiction book. It's a cautionary tale it's, to watch out for that guy. To watch out for that guy. Watch out for this guy. And don't. And things aren't what they seem. Like you know, snakes are bad. But this guy told the truth. Uh, so in any event, I've I, and I haven't really heard that discussed. So TLP does similar stuff with a lot of these stories. Um, one of the ones that he does, I told you about Oedipus. And the story of Oedipus is that Freud's interpretation is one we all know, which is it's this repressed desire to be with our mother and we have to kill our father to get there. Mm-hmm. And in going back to the original text, he points out, it's like, what happened was that I believe it was the oracle told Laius, the king of Oedipus, that he would be murdered by his son. And so he took his newborn baby and with his wife, pinned his feet together, which means like put a bolt through them, and uh, sent him off to die. <laughs> Came to Why a did shepherd. he put a bolt through his feet? I, I don't know exactly. Like you can, you can analyze some of these things further. I haven't read the, I actually did read the original way back in high school. Um, and it wasn't the original, it was the English version, obviously. But that the idea that a story about wanting to be with your mother and killing your father requires a choice, which of course this infant did not make. And in fact, this is a story about horrible negligent parents <laughs> that getting a crappy piece of advice from the Oracle sacrificed their son in order to protect themselves and ultimately are unable to do so. But he Does goes, the son know that he's the son of the king? No, he doesn't. So when he kills the king, he doesn't, doesn't know, know that he's And he doesn't know that he's sleeping with his mom either. Um, and so anyway, Freud's interpretation becomes the interpretation right. of it. Most when we people, say Oedipus, when you say Oedipus, they go, oh yeah, that's the story of the guy that wants to kill his dad and wants to sleep with his mom. Mm-hmm. And by the way- go, Oh, that's the story of the guy who gets a horrible <laughs> upbringing and then accidentally kills his dad and accidentally sleeps with yes. his mom. And there's all this backstory, which is that the reason that this happened to King Laius is that he committed apparently sexually assault of this person, and this was punishment for it. Uh, and, you know, he goes through, what were Oedipus's qualifications for, be, for um, becoming the king is that he solved the riddle of the Sphinx, which does not qualify him in any way to be a king, so you have this inept guy. And he, he analyzes the story in a very interesting way, which one could only do if they were referencing not the collective understanding of the story of Oedipus, but going back to the original text, which he says are richer. And what's also interesting is nobody's read Freud either at this point. It's now just a copy of a copy of a copy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, He does Dickens. He does uh, Scrooge. People, I actually haven't heard too much of this one, so I'm curious. He says that Scrooge, the way that some people use it, is as a critique of capitalism. Like, that's selfish Scrooge. This is what happens when, when capitalism occurs, is you just get these super selfish people. I haven't really heard that critique. Sure. I mean, it's a it's a critique of selfishness. Is that's that's kind of how I felt. So I didn't think that his critique of it landed as much. The, what he points out, he's like, Scrooge is not a capitalist. He does he hoards all of his money. He does not use capital to ever make any more money. So any sort of critique that uh, you know lays this at the feet of capitalism entirely misses who Scrooge is, which is he's a miser. He's a, he's he's this person. So if you're using this right. to, Scrooge, to complain Scrooge about doesn't capitalism. Doesn't make- he doesn't take his money and invest in a new no, business. No, he doesn't use the he means sells of production. It all it's it's literally then. just like more work, more work, hoarding gold, hoarding gold. Uh, he doesn't leverage money to do anything. Yeah, uh, create multiple companies. And so he he breaks down a, a number of things with that. And then one of the ones in real life that I thought was interesting is uh, the story of women's suffrage he talks about at one point. Uh, and the story of women's suffrage is these courageous people, sometimes men, sometimes women, saying that we need to expand the right to vote to more people. And his analysis of it historically, which, again, is neither true nor false, uh, but is an interesting one, is that it was a defense against immigrants having too much voting power. (laughs) And so what they tried to do was just have the women, the Protestant women in these places, and he looks where it was originally, like the first place apparently was Wyoming and the second was Utah. 
in reaction to the wrong types of people hmm. holding power. Um, not saying that that's true, but this is why he's an interesting thinker. I don't take any of this as gospel, but it's just... It just has a unique perspective on things relative un- to other people. And, and what he effectively points out is that you know very little, and I know, and we know actually very little about the world. There's a lot of just like social tethering that we just take to be true about yeah. stories and the way things are. Which you have to, in, to some degree, in order to exist function because if you had to redo the research of everything that had ever been done you couldn't do it and you definitely couldn't innovate Mm -hmm. so there are reasons why people do take just okay let's just take for granted what the consensus is so that we can try to innovate Mm -hmm. sure problem is when consensus gets wrong yes and he well he would even add on to what you're saying that it's not just that it's that he asked the question why do certain stories about stories or stories about history catch on in individual psychology and then in collective psychology. And his answer is never that, oh, that's the true interpretation. It's always, what does this do for the collective? What Mm -hmm. does this do for the individual that they're so eager to buy into this story? What does it, what um, does it defend against? And in the case of, you know, perhaps women's suffrage, it's like, you know, the realization that the whole thing is not about liberating people, but about holding other people back, (laughs) you know, is that, is that it's a reactionary force. Um, You're saying it's, it feels better to think that women's suffrage was about the growth of society pushing forward and expanding who counts. Mm-hmm. And it's it feels worse to say, oh, women's suffrage was about holding back immigrants. Yes. And I think one of the underlying things, this is a quote that, that he says drives so much of people, is that we want to placate our impotence, meaning our inability to affect our lives, a system with knowledge. So a concrete example of this is the man who learns everything about women to know why they do this, knows about hypergamy, also that he can avoid talking to the woman at the gym. You know what I mean? <laughs> also that he doesn't have to. You know what I mean? And so that what he... He and, sees someone who's beautiful and instead of talking to them, he, he just can rely on his so back catalog of knowledge about why life's unfair. It's not going to work and, and there's hypergamy and it does all of this. And so... Sour grapes. Exactly. Yeah. So what he, what TLP would say is that the actual order that things occur is that this man, via advertising his community, has been trained to be impotent. He's been trained to be unable to do things, and that is a very distressing psychological state. And so the way that we cope and allow for increased, I believe, and again, maybe I'm interpreting this wrong. It's, a, it's pretty complicated. The way that we cope with this is by adding knowledge to the thing. And he mm-hmm. then then breaks down um, socialists, like modern, I don't mean socialists in Europe or anything. I mean like modern day left pushing socialism in America in the same vein. How so? Okay, let's see if I can do this. I'm trying to repeat his interpretation, by the way. Um, let me see. Actually, I grabbed some quotes, which which might even just capture it. Let's see. Okay, so, well, this is, this is sort of combining the first two. Uh, this is the secondary piece. You study Marxism, the secondary sources, because there's safety in numbers. You may not know all the details, but the fact that someone else must know the details means that your life experience is the result of structural conflict, even if you can't really explain it, which is to say that this isn't the socialism piece, but Marx is appealing because it allows you to say that your life is, you didn't choose it. It didn't, you know, it, it was inflicted upon you, happened to you, and you are the victim, which is a position that is psychologically preferable yeah, yeah. to. Well, I'm not, so I'm not I, saying this I, I is, had opportunities and fucked it up myself. I'm not saying this is true. I'm not saying this is false, but basically the current interpretation of Marxism in the U.S., and that people wouldn't even call it Marxist, but they just call it their 
agenda mm-hmm. is that if you, if someone is better off than you, they oppressed you to get there. Mm-hmm. And that feels good if most people are better off than you. Mm-hmm. What doesn't feel good is saying, I could have done more, but I haven't. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so it's an appealing, you're saying it's an appealing ideology, not that different from why Christianity caught on in ancient Rome. Yes, and he says, and this is kind of a, this is not necessarily the most novel take, but that the main drive, and he sort of breaks down like, ask, he asked the question, would and are certain types of people that might consider them socialists satisfied when rich people willingly give their money to causes? Or do they prefer that it be taken from them uh, via taxes which they don't want to give? And I believe that there are a subset of people that, you know, Jeff Bezos donating $100 million. Like, they don't like that. (laughs) They don't want that. And it's not merely because he needs to give more. It's because according to TLP, and he breaks it down not just with socialists but with a lot of things, one of the driving forces in modern society is the drive to deprive the other. It is to... It is to not necessarily, he says it's not greed, but uh, I think it's not greed, but envy. It's not that I want more. It's that I want you to have less Mm. relative to me. Um, And when I, when I look at my own life, I actually do see that potentially active in me, you know, and we've talked about like, would it be better to live in a medium neighborhood and be in the middle or to, you know, just have more. And I think you can run that experiment of 30 years in the future, you've got, you know, Tap to eat filet mignon. Tap to eat we, this. We have it today. Yeah, yeah. Do you, no, we don't have to. Exactly. In the today, exactly. Today, people, the quality of life of people today who think that they have a bad lot is better than kings and pharaohs from a thousand, two thousand years ago. Just straight up, the accessibility to food, longevity of life, ability to cure disease. It's better than anyone ever who was born more than a hundred years ago mm-hmm. and people are largely dissatisfied with it. And it's interesting to think that it's not greed, which is defined by like more for me, but yeah, the ability to get envy, food, which the is, ability to get knowledge whenever you want, the ability yeah. to have entertainment whenever you want, the ability to have a car or a bicycle. Even they didn't used to have like, mm-hmm. yeah, you can do everything compared to someone a thousand years ago mm-hmm. and you hate it because you can't do as much as people that you see on TV. Yes, that greed doesn't satisfy you. The, the deprivation of the other does. And then he goes into personal relationships, which is, which is like the whole thing is it's called, it's about, I can say it now we're 30 minutes in, you know, ish. <laughs> it's about pornography because his whole thought is that pornography is like the, one of the clearest views of advertising and how we are advertised. Like this is what an attractive woman looks like. And this is how an attractive woman has sex. And this is, this is how you ought to fantasize. Uh, and he points out that we are, I be, according think, to him. You think that's true? Because I feel like that comes more from, from music videos and TV. Oh, and from everything. Of that. Oh, sorry, like, sorry. From everything. Because I feel like you, I mean, maybe some people are concerned with a lot more porn than me. I didn't have internet access as a kid except for a public computer. Yeah. So I couldn't really watch a lot of porn. <laughs> it was in like the study where my parents would see me. So I feel like porn for people my age, where the internet wasn't so easy to just get on your phone, wasn't really informing what we liked because you just, you weren't getting to it until you were 18, 19 years old in college. So I feel like what told me what was good was what I saw on TV, what I saw in magazines, what I saw in commercials. That's how I learned what I was supposed to like. And I think he often uses porn as a stand-in for advertising, generally speaking. Yeah, I'm saying the cover of GQ, to me, probably way more informative of what's Mm -hmm. attractive than what was on whatever the porn sites were at the time. Yeah, 
Yeah. So he's, and this is not in this particular book, but one of the things that always stuck with me is that uh, if you think that you're watching a commercial and resisting the message because you see the woman standing on the, the corner, he like used to analyze commercials, which I loved, standing on the corner, you know, as the Lexus drove by and, you know, she gets in and you go, I know that pretty girls aren't going to get into just because I buy a Lexus. Like I caught you ad. What you don't realize is that you accepted that that was a pretty girl, which his point is that everything is being advertised mm-hmm. to you. And you, if you think it's simply the product, you're learning that's what a desirable man is. That's what a pretty girl looks like. Like, how would you know what a pretty girl looks like? What would you like in the absence of advertisement? Well, we've seen, and I've, as I've grown up, like literally the shape of female bodies that are attractive yeah, I've have always, completely transformed. I've always wondered this because there's all these people, and I think there are some useful things to be learned from evolutionary psychology, but there's so many people will say, oh, that's attractive because of evolution. Mm-hmm. Like, of course, no one could resist that. He, he literally, body ratio. He, he has and that it's quote. Like, but I thought back in the day, it was much heavier set people yeah. that were considered attractive because of access to food. And also depending on where you are in the world, being tan is really attractive. So you're spray tanning yourself, but also being pale is really attractive. So even when you're outside, you're hiding under an umbrella. So I've always wondered that because people are very quick to point to attraction being evolutionary, but it seems like it's much more learned because of how it changes over time and how it changes country to country. Mm -hmm. So he points that out, that people use, and we've talked about this, use study show or evolutionary psychology says to hide the fact. You don't even, the thing I think is interesting about evolutionary psychology, sorry to cut you off, is that there's not even a study. It's just what sounds good. Evolutionary psychology is fun interesting and when you dig into it i think has a problem that that you expose which is it seems highly contextual to the environment and even if you go you know all places around the world like this breast hip to waist ratio but it's like yeah but wait a second just correct me if i'm wrong what about those like chubbier fuller women in all the renaissance paintings yeah that's what i'm saying (laughs) you know what i mean like that's not like a to hit that's to not an hourglass yeah. yeah yeah and and some of them have it and you can go find me a botticelli that does but what about this one that doesn't like is that is this not an attractive woman at this point I, yeah I, I actually don't know the answer I, it's just something i've thought of is how learned what is attractive is yes and i mean i i experienced it in going to costa rica and i remember when i looked at the mannequins over there i was like holy cow because they're like curvy as hell and I was blown away. And at first I was like, this is ridiculous. And, and then I was 19 at the time. And I do think that that formed some of my tastes at that point. Because I was still young enough to like be told that this is what yeah, attracted Yeah, we even is. see it in the U.S. I mean, it used to be that mannequins were just stick, stick thin and models yeah. were stick thin. And now it's much more uh, in vogue to be curvy. And mm-hmm. I think even the mannequins are yeah. much more curvy or athletic looking than they were 1992. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's because mannequin production has, <laughs> caught, like, it's not an innovation in how, oh, we weren't able to make these before. Yeah. It's just the models before were, oh, yeah, this is what we're going for, super skinny. Mm-hmm. And so he he talks about a lot of this, and this is sort of me combining what he used to write about with his book, but another theme is that, this is, this is kind of not as novel, but that you don't buy things for the benefit that the product gives you. You buy things for what it, says about you that the the drive to acquire things is you know why have a rolex or a this or that and he used to break down ads and talk about what does this say about you but he then applies it to personal relationships you know he goes from pornography to advertising to like what does your spouse say about you that you want the type of person that wants the type of person you know this mm-hmm. that, and the other thing and i did find that um 
that matches my experience in a big way. I remember, and I can, I can point on you because this was a long time ago, but I experienced the same thing when we were in like high school and your girlfriend was probably five, nine and blonde. Mm -hmm. I remember being in Disney world and some guy like thought she was really attractive and you were like, Oh, it felt great. <laughs> you're, Dude, you're I've, been, I've been a nerd my whole life. I, I started high school at five, two and I hit six, two by senior year. It was pretty transformative for my social life. And then there was this person who was, uh, she was fit and blonde and she had a tattoo at the time, which was crazy, you know, and everybody thought she was really attractive and I thought it was really cool. Bro, I, I remember being congratulating in the magic, me. I remember being in the magic kingdom when an older guy walked and like did that. And yeah, it was and, very flattering. I was like, Oh yeah, that's my girlfriend. Exactly. And so this idea that we've been taught to want primarily through the eyes of others because we are, have been trained to not know how to fantasize and want ourselves. Yeah. Well, I don't know if this is an experience that other people share or that you share, but I definitely felt the opposite in high school as well. Now, high school is very, I'm 34 now. You're obviously less affected by peer pressure than you are as a teenager. Well, but he would, he would disagree with that. Interestingly, uh, go ahead. Really? That it doesn't lessen over time? I mean, you're just so at the whim of your peers, I feel like, as a teenager. You have, like, you no sense You were of, aware of a divide, which I know what you're going to say, but go ahead. For the audience that doesn't know where you're driving with this. Oh, well, I was just saying, I, there, were, there were women that I liked, but that I knew my friends would tease me for mm -hmm. if I were to date. And that was enough to determine me, because I didn't want the, like, the benefit of dating them wasn't worth all the social mm -hmm. flack that I would have received at 16. And what's funny is, yeah, it would. It was probably mostly imagined social flack. You might have gotten some, but like, I don't think people would have. Well, I don't know. I never tested it. I was insecure, yeah, yeah. so um, I was, at fifteen, I wasn't willing to to, tr to go there, to try it. You know yeah. what I mean? Um. So yeah, so that that is an interesting thought, and I've definitely have experienced that dating someone. Uh, having a large effect on how you perceive yourself because of how other people perceive them and the type of person that they would choose to be with. And what does that mean about you? Uh, and then of course, which we, which we know is that, you know, you will, and you will never be satisfied and you will never be, and you will continue to buy purchase because this is a bottomless pit of misery and uh, destroying other people's lives and relationships in, a, in an attempt to define yourself. What is what? So, cause I'm sure it's not, if you're not a consumerist, then you've escaped this. It probably just shifts. If you're not, if you're not big into buying stuff. His whole thing is that like, it is much harder to escape than you think. And it has built into it, uh, these compartments for people that think that they've opted out, like the hipsters that all wear the same shit and drive single gear bikes and drink expensive lattes. And you know what I mean? Like, that are all easily definable. Um, when I was reading it, well, sorry, what if you're, what if there were no expensive lattes there is what I'm saying. You're, Cause you're saying what people buy defines, I guess you're saying no matter who you are, what you buy defines you, but I'm saying there's someone TV who's commercials. It's like, I see that guy looking like the type of guy that I have been taught to like, and it's not just commercials or just pornography. It's also my friend group. Uh, and therefore I want to have a mustache, a plaid shirt, a strong, but not too strong physique not even that, probably skinny physique, a single gear bicycle. I want to live in Brooklyn and try to, uh, and fail to succeed in writing. <laughs> like that's how I perceive myself. And, and that is uh, a group that thinks that they've opted out of the system. This is what I'm saying. So it, yeah. it expands beyond, it's, this isn't only applicable to you if you spend 30% or more of your income on wearables. Correct. That's what I'm saying. It's not just for the Rolex brand name yeah. people. It is this... Uh, well, you're saying you think it's for everyone. 
Well, increasingly, yes. And and that's the question that you ask yourself is how, how do I get out of this as I read it? And then, of course, the question that he reflects back to you is like, do you want to get out of this for yourself or do you want to get out of this because you want to be the guy that got out of the system that other people can look at and go, that's a Sigma male. You know, he's, he's completely uh, escaped the matrix, which would then make you feel good through their eyes. Um, I don't know about that. I mean, I'm a bit skeptical because I know people who just opt out of the race in terms of they get some money sell their business or quit their job and go buy a farm. I agree. And no one thinks that they're, sorry, not no one, but they do not get clapped on the back for it. There's not a big community for it. They mostly go with a wife, have kids and don't really interact with and people. And this is, and we've talked about this. They probably don't post a lot. They probably, their influence on the world diminishes. Their participation in the conversation and social media, like. Yeah, and I don't think a lot of people clap you on the back when you do it. No. I don't think so either. And you're probably happier for it. And so we've talked about this, which is like probably a really good thing to do at some point in your life is to remove yourself from, uh, is to be very selective about the influences of your community, Mm -hmm. choose a community intelligently, turn off TV, turn off Instagram, stop, (laughs) stop consuming this stuff and spend more time outside or forget outside. Like even if you're playing League of Legends, like uh, try to be more conscious about the things that you are choosing, and less of a person that is trying to define themselves as being whatever a hipster, successful, whatever whatever the the label that you'd like to fall into is. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And so, and he's got. I don't want to uh, reduce what he says to that, but I do think that that seems to go sure. along. Anything else interesting from the book? Uh, I thought this was just an interesting quote. Literature today is defined by whatever shows that the teacher's parents' generation were jerks, (laughs) which is just... Teacher's parents' generation were jerks? So teachers, and he's like, okay, why... He asked the question, why is this book famous? Why is this movement catching on now? Um, Why is this... He talks at one point, and again, I can't remember exactly, like the mental illnesses that are in vogue. And so at one point it was bipolar disorder. was really cool to have. And now uh, it's autism, apparently. And I think he... You know, my brother's told me about this. Define cool to have. Uh, on TikTok, having autism is a thing that people stand up and raise their hand versus... Do you think it's people who actually have autism? Uh, the ones that I have seen are like they've gotten a diagnosis, but they are... I think they they seem to enjoy the diagnosis because it explains how they are special and weird and don't need to react to social cues or have to learn them they see it seems and that's what he argues is that that it exempts you from uh needing to react and be dependent upon the social sphere while still getting to participate in it uh via your tiktok posts interesting i imagine there's a lot of people who have autism but again if you're out there yeah yeah if you're out there with autism you might not this is this is um something that resonated with me because i happened to see from I think Henry, it was just like, dude, there's all these people that are like talking about having autism and, it's, and I don't really see it <laughs> in them, but they, well, that's what I, sorry. That's what I'm saying is you don't really see it in them. Like, I don't yes. think it's, sorry, sorry, have, sorry. I'm saying, I don't think it's people who have bad cases. No, of autism. no, it's definitely not. Yeah. It's definitely not the that's kids that saying. were in the special classes at our middle school yeah. okay. that were five years older than us with autism. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's far more functional, uh, things people then yeah. i mean because i mean and i'm not saying that listen i don't even have a tiktok so i'm definitely not saying that everyone on tiktok is mm-hmm. faking but i did see something on reddit i think it was where someone was 
basically faking an episode on mm-hmm. TikTok. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of people who were just, hey, I have this and this isn't what it looks like. And they're kind of pointing out why and how it's different, how like you don't get to start and stop it when you want. That's yeah, yeah. kind of what defines it being an episode is that it's not in your control to start and stop on command. Mm-hmm. So I think there might even be people who are just uh, faking it, much like it was very popular to go to a BLM protest, take a photo and then leave. Yeah. Or that one influencer guy asked asked yeah, a construction it. worker, hey, can I hold this drill? And then took a photo of her holding the drill and then gave it back and didn't even stick around to work for well, five minutes. What he would ask, and this is why I like him, he always goes a, level, a layer deeper. Because if everybody's talking about that girl, he says, what does that do for everybody? Why that clip? Why did that go viral? What does that allow your psychology? And it allows you to go, ha, I would never do that. Therefore, I'm not branding myself. I'm not in this machine Mm -hmm. and then he would take painstakingly show you how no you're actually in the machine this is a defense against realizing that you're complicit yeah you're doing the same exactly the same way 30 percent of the degree yes yes uh and by 30 percent of the degree he would say your whole life just less loudly (laughs) and then it would make you feel really depressed because there's no way out of me (laughs) um there's one more thing that i had written i don't know if it's worth reading let me see This is just to the capitalist socialist thing. I'll read it. If it's not interesting, we can cut it. Um, This is a basic rivalry among semi-equals that it pretends to be a structural conflict. The capitalist that they hate, meaning like the socialist or the the person, the capitalist they hate is more like them than unlike them, that their rage comes not from being less powerful than others, but from a perceived illogical mismatch between their own knowledge and power, how much they think they know versus how little power they have. It comes from an envy of their neighbor's power to act out of proportion to how much that jerk appears to know. So the idea being, you know, that, and I don't know if this is true, but just a hypothesis that it's uh, frustration that the smart people, which of course they are one, do, do not have all the money and all the resources and all the power. Um, and that's why it looks hypocritical in X, Y, and Z situations. Persecutors always believe in the excellence of their cause, but in reality, they hate without a cause. And I do think that he is dead on with something there, which is uh, a lot of things that appear to be political disagreements are psychological issues of hatred, anger, rage that, you know, get funneled towards the rich or towards BLM or toward whatever. And, uh, it's hate without a cause that then attaches itself to a cause and convinces itself that it's justifiable so that it can find an expression when in reality it's just like you got to work your shit out with your dad or <laughs> I don't know something sure. else. Yeah. So that's what I've been reading. It's interesting. It's by, it's uh, not by Edward teach. That's a pseudonym and it's called sadly porn on Amazon. Yeah. I think, cool. I think it's, and it's tricky and there's a lot and there's a, by the way, second chapter is like 30 pages of uh, cuckold porn. So just know what you're getting into. Nice. <laughs> I think the exception to that would be if what if you're if an outside person looking at your behavior would describe your behavior as wow that person's really working to affect change in the world. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So if you're if your cause is veganism and you've started a nonprofit around it or you work in a company that's innovating on the next Beyond Meat or whatever, and it's like oh this person doesn't like animal suffering. You go. Yeah, it looks like a person who really strongly doesn't like animal suffering versus if you're just walking the streets looking for people who have burgers so you can spit mm-hmm. in their face and call them monsters. I agree. It's like, yes, that person probably has rage 
and they've attached it to this issue and it still might be a good issue, but their expression of it, they're using it as an outlet for rage. But I think there are people you could look at their behavior and go, person really seems to dislike trash in the ocean because they've started a company that runs automated boats yep. that cleans the ocean. Sure. So like I that agree. person believes in their cause. I don't think everyone who believes in a cause is masking rage, hatred, yeah. and just attaching to a cause. But I think you just look at that, you look at the behavior, you go, is this person mostly just screeching on the internet or in person without doing anything that seems to affect long-term change? Probably just have a lot of hate in their heart, and this is the thing that they feel comfortable yeah. attaching themselves to, oftentimes because their social circle says it's good. That's the other thing. I know a lot of people who don't believe in a cause, but will show up for a march just to not be kicked out of their friend group. But then there are people who are, you go, this person's quietly volunteered at a Planned Parenthood for 20 years. Yeah. Probably they think that something about birth control is yeah. important. Yeah. You know, They don't post it on their Instagram, but they're doing the deed, and they're not doing it by shouting. So I, I, don't, I would be cautious to say you know, everybody who's says they care about a cause is just funneling hate. But I, I think the people who are doing it hatily, <laughs> it's probably true for. Mm -hmm. Yes, I think that when you read him, it seems to be all-encompassing. But to me, there has to be room for not this. You know what I mean? There has to be somebody that isn't, that wasn't raised there, that, that, that didn't turn the TV, that avoided the magazines, that was raised in a loving home. There has to be somebody out there that, that isn't uh, like this. But trying to think there's one other thing he says that uh narcissism is the actual like plight of our age yeah and by that what's interesting and I, I definitely see this in our videos like okay you can make a video on self-improvement and you can make even a video on self-love but what you can't make a video on is how to be a good friend you just fucking you just you're just pissing into the wind at that point like or a video on how to be uh not even people would rather be a good listener than to listen well. Meaning, like, a good listener is about me. That's your description. <laughs> That's a description. You your identity me. can go into, like, a yes. good listener. But to, to listen well, the act of doing it for, is so, like, fuck that. How to make, <laughs> yeah. yeah, how to make the people talking to you feel heard. Yes, and what they want to do is, like, I want people around me to think I am a good listener. Mm -hmm. As, but what almost is impossible to get to is a genuine desire to listen well or to yeah and we're just talking about titles that would get clicks on youtube and neither of these would do well but what you're saying is like how if i had to how choose. to be a friend mm -hmm. that everybody loves mm -hmm. is going to do better than yeah. how to make your friends feel loved or yes. supported yes. <laughs> like, exactly neither is going to do well but yes it's one of them is about what you get the other is about what they get and we're very clever in that we found ways to get what we want through quote-unquote altruism which is like you know how to be the good friend everybody loves it's like yeah, yeah. fucking perfect i want to be a good friend uh so i i don't even know that there's another way of existing as a human and maybe this is because i'm so blinded by our culture but it's like oh it's definitely that i actually think that the narcissism uh in the u.s in 2021 it's the water that we swim in because mm -hmm. i think there are cultures that put their neighbors on a higher level, let's say, not than themselves, but than we do to our neighbors. Mm -hmm. You know, there are definitely more community-focused cultures. I wonder that if that even doesn't, and perhaps this is because I swim in it, that that doesn't relate back to the desire to be a good member of the society, that the individual, and look, the in, the individual is always the unit well, I that think, I come sorry, back to. Selfishness and narcissism are different. Sure. So I think you saying, I'm going to thatch my neighbor's roof because it's more than a one-man job, mm -hmm. and when my roof 
gets struck by lightning, I'm going to ask the 30 neighbors I have to thatch mine as well. And we're all in this together. That can be selfish, but I don't know that it's narcissistic in the Mm -hmm. same way that TikTok and Instagram are. Yeah. Where I'm going to take selfie videos of my food. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Yes. The the last thing. Selfish versus look at me maybe is the. Yeah. One one of the last things that you're reminding me of is that um, a lot of our current culture, and I definitely relate to this, is a defense against dependence. And that, that, so for instance, like one of the things that I, I don't, I want to be able to buy my own food, <laughs> do my own thing and go where I want to go, that our culture has, has really fetishized independence. Mm-hmm. And like we, the primary goal of a parent is to make an independent kid. And we, we push this independence, independence, independence and to call it such a wonderful thing. Why do we do that? Maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but why? And it's, he argues that the psychological underpinning is that we, uh, are deeply uncomfortable with depending and being depended on as well, um, which is, according to him, a precondition of love, which is why there's so little love in society. And love is often not depicted. Like, everybody knows that that shit's fake in the movies these days, except, he says, when uh, in certain circumstances, one is with gay couples. If there's ever, like, a gay couple, they're totally allowed to be in love. Because one of the things that he says is whenever you repress a human emotion, you cannot fully repress it. It must find another way to show and manifest itself so we all get that the rom-coms are total bullshit but can wholeheartedly believe that uh the homosexual couple (laughs) is as some sort of transcendent love that is real and genuine uh but anyway it's interesting if you disagree with all of it uh it's still a fun still a good read did you have anything no, so good news, bad news, when you're describing that the ideal person stops watching the news and TV and Reddit. <laughs> I did that this week. Bad news is I don't have much to say. Cool. I was on YouTube trying not to watch League of Legends videos, so I found myself watching other stuff. And I did see one thing that I thought was interesting, just because you kind of called your shot on this early, I think. And so back when Logan Paul was hated, even before Suicide Forest, when he was just considered... Uh, dumb basically you said this guy's a marketing genius and is going to be really successful and if he wants to be a movie star one day he will because he just does whatever he sets his mind rock, to yeah and at the time yeah you said if he wants to be the rock and be just multi-platform megastar he will be and i think most people at the time thought that you were way off and that he oh was dude if, I, if that idiot. were a stock that i could have bought i'd have made some money a on lot that, on that prediction so yeah. so yeah you called it and i just watched this logan paul and ksi together launched a sports drink you know that? No. It's in supermarkets next to Gatorade. Wow. And it's it's not that crazy, but it also is, I think, it's a, it's a fossil industry at this point that is ripe for innovation. They say, this shit is just water with sugar. Mm-hmm. So we made coconut water and then we put electrolytes into it and it just tastes good and is healthier. And by the way, like, okay, Gatorade, like, you know, the Florida Gators, <laughs> you know, good luck. I'm Logan Paul and KSI. Like you reach this new generation as effectively and cheaply as I yeah. can. So they called it prime. They made a song together about how they're in their prime and <laughs> it's going to crush. Everybody is going to hate on him. But yeah, I think, I think uh, he's going to take over the world. That's what that showed me. It's like, him. this is, this is going to succeed. Water. You wanted to be a boxer. We need more of that out there. Dude, it's just remarkable. He's, he's, I'm going into boxing. Everyone laughs and laughs and laughs at him until he's boxing Floyd Mayweather. Yeah. And yeah. So that, it's just like, this guy's going to crush it and then he's going to crush whatever he wants to do next. And I, I was, as I was looking at it, I was just <laughs> impressed that you called it back when everybody thought he was going to be a fat, basically. Yeah. 
I am going to express some disappointment from in a, what is the word? Where in a parasocial way to Logan Paul, because after the suicide force thing, when he started his podcast and he had, I think that guy Spencer on who was more thoughtful uh, and he seemed to have grown and was doing breath work and kind of reflecting. It seemed from the podcast that I'd listened to on the uh, sinkhole that is Hollywood and mm-hmm. earning money and views. And he seemed to be getting disenchanted. And I was like, dude, he's gonna, he's gonna do it. No, he's, no, gonna he's gonna break. He's gonna win the game, bro. You thought he was gonna opt he out of the game? He got sucked back in he's gonna so hard to bullshit NFTs, crypto zoos, earning money, not paying taxes in Puerto Rico, despite having tens of millions of dollars. Uh, I was parasocially disappointed in my. He's 26, to be fair. Yeah, yeah. He, he could just he, make he could a billion dollars over the next 10 oh, bro, years he could and then go around. do it. Yeah. He come around. He just, but you just said it. He just, he just made sugar water. Like better sugar water. Thank God. We I really, want to clarify. We really need that. It's better than Gatorade. <laughs> it's important. To, I don't get money for this, but I think yeah. it's important to clarify. Well, I remember watching. I was like, oh, dude, this guy's genuinely smart. Genuinely is reflecting right now. Uh, was forced to by life. But then, yeah, once, man, once that suicide force thing stopped riding him into self-reflection and the pressure was off. It's way, it's just like an easier road to just go make money, sell sugar water, dump NFT projects. He's apparently, I don't know. I don't, I don't want, I'm not even shitting on him. It's, it's coming from a place of having watched him being like, ah, you are, you seem to be close to, to busting out of this with millions of dollars, by the way, with an ability to do any business that you wanted to. Well, you could still do business, but sugar water and crap NFTs is just, that's a bummer, you know? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, I want to enter the psychedelic industry, so I find myself hesitant to say this, but I will. Isn't that a bit of a data point amongst many other data points that psychedelics, similar to regular therapy, are not a magic cure? Oh, yeah. That you, like, well, did he do, was he doing psychedelics? Yeah, ayahuasca, MDMA therapy, yeah, yeah. smoke DMT. I, yes. I think that, and we've seen this with a lot of people, the idea that psychedelic therapy and psychedelic medicine is a magical thing dissimilar to anything else such that you can do it and have your life changed forever i think has become overblown at this point yeah instead and i've, of being I've probably at, said i've probably said it one too many times and I, and in, instead of it being like this is a good thing that with if surrounded by good integration and purposeful implementation can change your life for the better, mm-hmm. but it doesn't just magically make you enlightened. It, you you do it and then you go back to the same mm-hmm. addictive vices that you had yeah. before. Yeah, I think safe to say incredibly powerful, like mm-hmm. wildly, like to me, the inco- most powerful. incomparably powerful sure. to, compared to other stuff. But also somehow still not stronger overblown. than your social circle. <laughs> and, and, and starting to get overblown for people, I think, yeah. who think that they can just go have a psychedelic experience yeah. and magically not 
be pulled to their old vice mm-hmm. or their old addiction or their old whatever or the peer pressure group. We talked about this. I know someone who runs an Ibogaine clinic. He can cure you of your physical addiction to heroin in three weeks, straight up, completely gone. And then if you just go right back to your old life, you'll be doing heroin again mm-hmm. because it's not that's not what got you there. And so I think that, yeah, it's it's really super duper hard to not fall into trying to hook up with as many people as possible, make as much money as possible, be famous, have people admire you. That, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just, you know, this guy did a lot of psychedelics and still values all that stuff. And I think that's the most common thing yeah. that happens. Cool. I agree. <laughs> so how are we going to make our program different? Well, I think, and this is this is the trouble with all marketing, is that what you want to do is tell the truth in your marketing, mm-hmm. which makes it less appealing to do. Because would you rather go to the place that's going to transform your life in four hours or the place that's going to be an ongoing practice? And, you know, so. I think you have to create your own community. I think you have to go community wins, mm-hmm. right? If your community says money, you're going to get money. If your community says as many sexual partners as possible. That's what you're going to go for. Yeah. So I think you need to have integration where it just goes, okay, welcome to the post-psychedelic community where we all really think that being present is cool. And if you want to be well, let me ask you high this. status, you I, live I, an enlightened life. So here's what I've seen. I've thought a lot about this because we've been like, hey, what about that guy? We should go you know, see or talk or visit this person. And it's like, they don't like my values. They're not, we're, we're not going to be close. Mm-hmm. And, and typically we're talking about people that we've met in networking contexts who like, the question they ask you is like, what's your impact goal? And I'll be no, like- No, or they just want to, a lot of people who are entrepreneurs, they're trying to make as much money as possible yes. or be as famous as possible. So even though we get along well, we don't wind up sticking together. Like we don't wind up uh, maintaining an ongoing communication or friendship, even if we have like a really fun exchange at dinner or something like that. Because yeah, they want to be talking about how to make as much money as possible or be as famous as possible. And, and I want to be I talking wanna, about, about- why that's dumb. <laughs> yeah, or just like where to surf or, you know what I mean? Yes. So here's my question. Have you and I desired different communities from one moment in our life to the next and what caused that shift? So I would say we have, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? So like if I go through high school, the first community that we had was uh, friends around us that wanted to hang out, play video games, swim in your pool. I think it was just who's similar to me. Yeah. I was just to like, look at yourself. You're a guy who likes sports, but you're not very good at sports. You get good grades. Mm Mm-hmm. And so it's just like, okay, all your friends were the people who were, liked playing sports but weren't the varsity stud athletes and also happened to get straight A's. Mm-hmm. It was just who's, who's most similar to me. Well, so then two books that made us want a different community. And it was, I mean, if I look back on this, it's like a tectonic shift in our lives. And mm-hmm. we, lo- like, several friends just didn't come with and all of the new ones had these traits. It was, yep. we read The Game, which is, which is about getting women. But really, the thing that I'd never assumed is that I could change <laughs> like yeah, that, yeah. that just hadn't occurred to me. Like I these could guys become more likable or pe- funnier yes. or more popular or more attractive and the four hour work week. Mm-hmm. And those were the two people that didn't like or want that fell away. Mm-hmm. Closest friends fell away and people that, you know, new friends almost had to be interested and agree with both of those things. So I'm just, and then later in life, there was that whole self-improvement phase. And then when did we or I or you, I'm curious when you think, switch from self-improvement, dots on the board, did you do your four things, to I am going to have a harder time hanging out with that individual. Like what, do you remember if there was a moment or a, a thing that changed well, that? Well, it's two-phase. I think one, we both got serious relationships that we really, really wanted to try to make work. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of the personal development time became relationship development time. So a lot of the books that 
were being read or things like that. It wasn't how do I become stronger, live longer, make mm-hmm. more money. It was how do I be a better partner or how do I make, make a relationship work? Works? Yeah. How much compromise is the right amount? You know, it was a lot like taking Tony Robbins's course about not horse trading or whatever it was. So I think that was shift number one. And then shift number two, your relationship ended and mine I was just dissatisfied with. We both went to ayahuasca. And I think that shifted us away from that because your relationship had ended. And after ayahuasca, I was like, I don't want to be the person that this relies on to succeed. So I'm going to like just try to be happy and this will either work or stop working. Whereas before I was like, I'm going to make this work. So I think it was- Did that shift for you, your self-improvement drive? Because for me, I know what it was is- Well, I'm saying the self-improvement drive and both of us got swapped out for relationship drive. You're saying that was a prior- well, yeah, prior to psychedelics, you, dude, do you disagree? I think a lot I, of where well, your mental energy went to was I actually how do think I my make- self-improvement drive was always a relationship drive. It was always how do I make myself more appealing to but this went for women in general yes. and then it went to this particular woman. That's a huge shift. There was a shift where it was how do I make myself as attractive as possible with my appearance, with my personality, and also some business success, but that was mostly for freedom, honestly. It was less so for women. Yeah. But then there was a giant shift where you went from I'm going to try to be the most appealing person to everyone to I'm going to try to make my relationship with this one woman work. Mm-hmm. I think that's a huge shift. Okay. It completely changed your behavior in the outside world and your consumption habits. Did it change my consumption habits that much? Yeah. You were reading, dude, you were reading and watching courses on how to make relationships work. Yeah. But I, all, I mean, I was reading prior to that. I was reading a book on business and then a book on languages and then a book on, you know, it was, I actually kind of see those as similar phases. It looked super different from the outside. Uh huh. And then, and then you think ayahuasca was the the other break from that. Yeah. Got it. Why? What do you think? Um, I see those the two intermediate phases as one of the same, which is like woman focused. Now, granted, the first was plural, the second was singular, but it was. Everything that I was doing was in order to be more attractive so that I could have, it. I guess in the first case, options, and then the second case, this particular one. But it was yeah. like, it was always through what do women like. And then the shift for me is, holy shit, trying to be what women want for me, one or many, is making me not, is not making me happy. Well, and that, that was when I was just like, so this self-improvement stuff needs to really be relegated to a different part of my life. And I stopped going to the gym like I was used to. I stopped, started eating bread. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah, but change. funny enough, you stopped doing the things that you thought would get women, but you also still pursued women just as much. Mm-hmm. So well, my you, self-improvement, yeah, interesting. That, I agree, I agree. So you're like, I'm not going to go to the gym, but you're, I bet you're going to swipe just as much as you were before, go on dates mm-hmm. all the time, hook up with multiple people. Well, I'm tr- I guess the question, so you didn't, like, it's not like you're yeah, like, yeah. I'm going to stop eating and stop swiping. You're just like, I'm going to sleep with exactly as many people as I was before, but get a little bit skinnier. Yeah. What happened there? <laughs> Cause you, you know what I'm saying? It didn't translate to less yeah, dating. Yeah. Well, I guess. And the, the reason that I started with this question is because I wanted to know, you said the community is important, but what happened in Logan Paul's example was that he didn't want to join that new community. He was exposed to them. And then he went back to his money-making LA friends mm-hmm. right and i have i feel like wanted different communities and i'm just trying to identify that that moment of shift uh 
I guess still what happened for whatever reason. To be fair though, Logan's internal experience could be completely different in a way that looks similar. It could have gone from being incredibly validation and fame seeking to just being wealth seeking, Mm -hmm. which you might think is the same, but it's not. So he's still boxing Floyd Mayweather and making prime, but he doesn't really post on his YouTube channel. His podcast is pretty chill at this point. I think he's finding guests that he wants to talk to and not the guests that get him the most views. And so he might've gone through a seismic shift where he switched from fame validation seeking to just, I'm going to go for wealth and power because that's what I want to do, but I'm not going to do it in this post every day vlog way. I'm going to do it in this. I like boxing. So I'll just box the best boxer in the world. Well then I'll come back without reflection on me or Logan to the original question. And maybe we don't know the answer, which is if it is the case that at least, well, two ingredients that uh, can lead to, positive changes and shifts in one's life are the introduction of a really powerful event. Sometimes that's like a Tony Robbins thing, rarely, but it can happen. Other times it's a psychedelic thing. Sometimes it's a near-death experience or a breakup. Mm-hmm. Like that that event that's sometimes a catalyzing. A sometimes a book. And then something else which makes you want to stop hanging out with those people that did the drugs or weren't interested in self-improvement or obsessed with money. Like, Well, I think it's someone you admire. I mean... It, I don't know that either of us would have chased this life as hard without the other person. Mm-hmm. If everyone in our community had said this was stupid, I think we would have tried to hide what we were doing and done it with less so conviction. you're saying like one if Logan close, had met high rapport person that pulls you in that direction. Logan had met a guy who was self-made hundred millionaire who had gone, you know what I mean? Someone he really respected and admired. Mm-hmm who was like, hey, just so you know, like, I've done this. I've done the, like, you know, Dan Bilzerian, except reformed and enlightened. He might have found it more appealing, but he probably got in there and saw a bunch of people that didn't have what he admired, which is none of you are worth $100 million. None Mm -hmm. of you have been president. None of you have been movie stars. And what he admired hadn't really shifted. I think if he had found a group of just absolute, in his mind, admirable, stud, won the game of life people who were all saying, hey, we opted out. Here's why. By the way, we did what you're trying to do, but better already. I think it might have been more persuasive than what he probably did was found a bunch of people who didn't have his level of fame, wealth, success. And so to him, he's like, well, yeah, I get it. But also like, you know, look what I can do. I can go make a hundred million dollars. Like you guys don't have that option. So he might've just found it less mm-hmm. persuasive to follow their lead. Okay. Well, I'll wind this down because I feel like I'm circling, but you're saying that Logan before and after ayahuasca still wanted the same thing that he had wanted for X period of time, which was... With maybe a buffer period of... Mm-hmm. Of the change. few days of change, yeah. yeah. Or months of change. How... I guess what we're talking about is if people change, what they want needs to change, mm-hmm. right? And so we can recognize, like, dude, it'd be really good for me to not do heroin or not do this. How do how does what someone wants change? <laughs> like, when and how does that... Is there a recipe of things that can be put together yeah. a powerful experience that can reliably shift what someone wants no, that's a good question because i think for me the things that i wanted in that first iteration from not mm-hmm. really pursuing anything to being really personal development driven the what i wanted was the same respect mm-hmm. to be attractive it was just wealth a different power vehicle. you just you just a better vehicle yeah so i got to keep all my wants i just watched interestingly enough ben affleck talk about what broke him from addiction and he says that it's extreme suffering is what changed his wants. He said he wanted alcohol desperately every day until he realized it was absolutely ruining his relationship with his kids. Mm-hmm. And then that pain 
and he did a bit of a accidental Dickens exercise where yeah, you yeah. project forward. He said, if, if this keeps going, my kids are going to fucking hate me. I'm going to be yeah. the guy who's all alone, who ruined all of his life. So one want that you, uh, he had a want for a kid and want for alcohol. I mean, he realized that they were in conflict. A, this one yes. was more. And it, it said, okay, I'll he had put a want that one for aside. what he and his kids relationship would be. And also I think the amount that they would respect him or mm -hmm. love him. And that he's like, that's what got me out of it. Basically. He said all the expensive rehabs, hundred grand of rehabs and, and all this stuff. He said, AA is good, but all the money I've dumped into this didn't work. Thinking, seeing a moment where my kid, I was ruining what I had with my kids is what did it is what he says. So, so then I guess here's the question. Do wants change or do we just realize that we have a preexisting prioritization that is in conflict? Like it, like it did like I presume Ben Affleck. No, because at one point he didn't want kids and then he did want kids and then he loved his kids. Like, so clearly his, his love, yeah, unless you go to high, I mean, listen, you can, this is semantically, you can go to high level and say, we all want, Mm -hmm. love and no no like, but at some point ben affleck went from not caring about his non-existent kids to absolutely loving his kids so much that he would kick alcohol for them yeah you know? i mean i've like, had that mini shift of, of yeah. i don't want kids and it's like oh i could i think i'm gonna want kids one day right. i mean this might be cheesy and I'll, I'll just wind it down but it does seem like yeah what shifts what people want relationships which comes back to the community thing like mm -hmm. your relationship with your kids you mentioned having a mentor someone that you look up to yeah what reliably changes what people wants are perhaps it's other people i don't know um, I don't have. Well, yeah, wasn't answer. that the whole? Wasn't that the whole takeaway from the last psychiatrist? He said everything, no matter how unique you think you are, because you've opted out of capitalism and become a hipster. You're just doing it for the approval of the other hipsters. That's how you know that you're supposed to have a certain mustache. Yeah, that would be the. Yeah, I don't know. Confusing and complicated. We'll figure it out when we have a clinic. And, uh, <laughs> it'll be 100 percent effective. Yeah, <laughs> and then someone will clip this up and uh, make us look bad. Because cool. one time they didn't know the answer. I got one more thing. I sure. think it's interesting, mostly because it just affirms something I already believed, which is everyone's favorite kind of news. Found it on The Guardian. The global spread of autoimmune disease is being blamed on the Western diet. Mm -hmm. And that's just right in line with everything that I already believed from the book, The Blue Zones. Yep. So it feels so, great. Feels very, good. Very gratifying. Feels good. I knew that to, one before. <laughs> not have to change my opinions at all. But that was interesting. They're just saying, you know, at one point in time, these inflammatory bowel diseases, for instance, were very prevalent in the US and not in the Eastern world. And, and they were trying to figure out why. Yeah. And that's what led to the idea that, oh, maybe it's the diet, maybe it's what we're eating and the sugars and whatever is causing this inflammation, which is leading to cancer, heart disease, whatever. Well, that diet has spread, become more common and inflammatory bowel disease is on the rise in these places nice. now. So for anyone who's interested in health, just another, another data point that you would be well uh, served to read the Blue Zones book and the book Anti-Cancer because it seems like diet and what you eat determines a lot more than just your body weight, basically. Mm -hmm. Your inflammation and all that stuff. So we're heading in the wrong direction. Instead, nice. of, instead of us learning from the East, the East is adopting the Western diet. And I had like half a bag of pretzels last night. Falling so. apart. <laughs> it's going really well for me. Cool. Is that it for you? Yeah, yeah. What that that's interesting. That's something that psychedelics changed for you, right? Because you were all about the anti-cancer. My discipline level. My discipline level tanked after psychedelics. Absolutely could not believe that uh be doing the right thing, thinking hard about the future, planning and and perhaps I swung too hard to the one side because the what had been driving me so much was um I think I had crafted in my head what the idea of a perfect man was, but to women or 
you know, and that meant that I needed to be able to dance, sing, fight, uh, speak multiple languages, earn money, uh, be funny, but also sensitive, but also assertive, but also just like, sounds like a cool guy. Yeah. Sounds like you were a cool guy at one point and trying to, at one point, man. And I was, uh, you know, and I truly was. I was doing jujitsu and then singing lessons. And those got in the way, man, because when someone fucking chokes you, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can't do a good singing lesson after that. Uh, but yeah, and and if I go back on that, and the one that was most obvious immediately is like, I don't like this fighting shit. Yeah, like, I loved it. I fucking I never did. I know. I get <laughs> I it. Like, but you like singing. Doesn't this is just so, if somebody ever steps to me and I have to defend my lady, <laughs> I would be prepared. Well, I don't think that's the case. Dude, I, got, I mean, people always talk about, oh yeah, what about a gun? I got sucker punched. Yeah, yeah. I just got punched while I wasn't looking. Yeah. My MMA didn't train me. I don't have the spidey sense to yeah. detect a punch when I don't see it. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I don't think MMA is good self-defense at all, unless you find yourself constantly in situations in where- one where it's like- It's a one-on-one. <laughs> By the way, it's going to be a one-on-one fight. There will be a referee, so there'll be no eye gouges or kicks to the genitals because you have no training. You have no training for those at all. You think you're joking? Yeah, exactly. I'm so good at the rear naked choke because just I know how to hide my hand. Pinky. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, you don't realize that someone's just going to snap your finger off. No, I think MMA is like, I guess, better for self defense than it definitely nothing. Is. It definitely is, but it's not useful in self defense if the person that you're fighting hasn't agreed to the same rules as you and brings three friends and a couple of knives. Mm-hmm. And someone's going to be like, oh, what about this MMA fighter? You beat four guys with knives. Yeah. It's not going to be you, dude. Yeah. Not, it's not going to be you. Um, yeah. So. But so, sorry, my question is, so why did you start eating pretzels? Because when I was doing psychedelics for the first time, one of the things I got to was you've done it. Congrats. Like you've made that personal development. Hooray. You can go back to reading fantasy books, let's say, which is not, I would say, a willpower thing, but is more a just deciding instead of reading six pillars of self-esteem, you're going to read Brandon Sanderson. Mm-hmm. But you're saying that in addition to that, which I think you did have, which you, you elected to start playing video games, you also have this this decreased willpower around diet, let's say. For not even willpower. I'm not even mad at myself afterwards. Yeah, I loved pretzels as a kid. Yeah. Didn't eat them for about 15 years yeah. because I was anti-cancer, all this kind of, maybe just 10 years. And then, yeah, it was like, screw it. You, uh, so you're just more like, I know this is going to cause cancer, but I'm no, cool with it. I don't know that it's going to cause cancer. Uh, I actually think- Do you think disbelieve it, the books now? Oh, I think the number one thing that causes cancer, if I actually had to tell you, was stress. Mm-hmm. And, and I believe that to be true, and I think you might agree with me, is probably like stress and poor sleep are the things that I, be, I think would cause the most cancer compared to, uh, I think pretzels would be good to remove if I was trying to avoid cancer. Mm-hmm. I think that would move me in the right direction. Uh, but- yeah, I'm also, I never thought that pretzels were going to give me cancer. I thought that I needed to do everything perfectly. And I still don't mm. think that pretzels are going to give me cancer. And I don't think I need to do everything perfectly. So I eat pretzels. Now, if I get Got it. cancer so you, of so you the- never, So you never stopped because you <laughs> thought that it was going to help you. You just stopped because you were trying to do everything to That's 100 just, exactly. out of 100. No, I never thought that I was going to get cancer. Mm. I still don't. And I could be wrong. But like, you know, if I get cancer of the tongue- where the pretzels touched. I don't know what, what kind of cancer they would give me exactly. I don't know. Um, Colon cancer? Yeah. So that's why. Got it. So just giving yourself permission to not do it at 100 out of 100. Mm-hmm. Is that true or have you shifted where you want to do things at 100 out of 100? I don't do anything at 100 out of 100 these okay. days. And this is partially why I can't hang out with those success-driven people because I say statements like that and we'll never hang out twice. Got it. Yeah, there's nothing that I look at in my life that's 100 out of 100 these days. 
except 100 out of 100 being a human being. <laughs> <laughs> Are you doing it? Could you do it better? I could be, I could perhaps be more. That's the nice thing about the being stuff is like, definitionally I'm there. <laughs> you know? like, perhaps I haven't realized that I've been doing it the whole time, been being the doing, doing the being, but technically I'm, I'm totally set. I just have to realize it. Nice. So yeah, what do we got? Questions today, Justin? Yep. Also today is our, I'll just announce it, uh, we're shooting hopefully what becomes our first D&D episode in just a few hours. So we're very hopeful that it comes out and that we'll have it to share and we will uh, announce it if that is the case. Yeah, it'll be in several weeks. So I don't know why we're announcing it now, but. Yo, you got to build hype. It's called the Sideways <laughs> Sales Letter, dude. Go ahead. In several weeks, look out for potentially an incredibly good episode of D&D. Yep. All right. So I have a question regarding dating out of your league. Recently, I met a girl who I hooked up with 10 years ago. I taught her to snowboard. She was on holiday here where I live, and we met up and had a fantastic date. We joked, uh, laughed, and flirted for five hours. I invited her to come to my place the day after, which she did, and we again had a lovely flirty time. Now, between the time we first met, which is 10 years ago and now, I had an accident which has left me paralyzed from the waist down. I'm independent, good-looking, charming, and funny, and humble. But unfortunately, even though I provided an almost perfect date, we hung out for seven hours, drew pictures of each other, made eye contact, hugged, etc. I got friend-zoned after the first kiss, which left me baffled. The only reason I can think of, which also happens to be my biggest insecurity, is because I'm in a wheelchair. She said it wasn't that, she just thought of us as friends, but we're not really friends at all. I feel like getting, or I feel getting rejected because of this is unfair, but something I need to get used to, uh, as I just came out of a five-year relationship. I also don't drink, so navigating sober dating is really tricky. I don't want to let this knock my confidence, but it has really shook me. The date really couldn't have gone any better. I know rejection is hard, but if all the things I can work on about myself, um, I can't fix my spinal cord. I also understand it's a deal breaker for a lot of people, but as two people I highly or highly respect and have watched a lot of videos about charisma, I would love to hear your thoughts and any advice would be appreciated. I I never had to, you know, deal with paraplegia or anything like that, so I don't know. But I will say one thing that I did notice from the storytelling prior to you even saying that is that that was a long flirty time, like five hours. Uh, and then a second thing, I wonder if it wasn't, and I'm not saying that this would solve it or wouldn't, but uh, shorter time from flirtation to kiss actually might do better. Now, granted, I've always lived in big cities. I lived in New York and LA. Perhaps we move at a different speed than other places in the world. But uh, if I'm looking at time from like meeting to first kiss, it's more on the order of an hour and a half. Like maybe, yeah, about an hour and a half. Uh, And five hours, I could see that becoming a very friendly fun interaction so i'm not sure if she was giving you an honest response or not but that would actually be something that i think about is to to uh do what you can to remove yourself from the possibility of being a friend faster if you know that that's how you feel early on now a lot of what i'm thinking of are dating apps because that's how i've dated recently it has been that but even when i was going out to clubs bars that sort of thing yeah it like Sometimes faster than that. An hour and a half would have been a long time in a club before kissing someone. If it was late at night and dark, you're probably going to the dance floor sooner than that. What do you think? I mean, yeah, I've never hung out with someone for seven hours straight before I kissed them. Yeah. That's just not my style. 
uh, I don't, I have no experience in a wheelchair, so I don't have any wheelchair specific advice, but, uh, if that were me, the one thing I would do, unless they're insanely expensive is I would try to find one of those that lets you stand. Mm -hmm. Cause I think that's just a, the height thing. Yeah. I think even if you're in a contraption, just being your, your normal height, instead of having someone who's, you know, you're, you're at about three feet and they're at about five and a half feet. Mm -hmm. I imagine that creates just a different dynamic, but I've never done it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not, I'm not like, uh, was that company Jesse used to work at? Where they go around in fat suits and then they go around in wheelchairs. Oh, simple pickup. Yeah, and I am not a simple pickup guy. I've never had like a fun day where I walked around and mm-hmm. tried to, you know, do pickup in a wheelchair or something. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't have any experience with that. It seems like it would be just talking out of my butt to, mm-hmm. to try to guess. Well, I'll tell you the things that are the same, not the same, that might be the same. And you'll have to experiment because I've never done it in a wheelchair, but is having, when you're nervous, a reliable, like, thing that you can do or say to amp up the flirtiness. So one, when there is lingering eye contact that I probably stole from the game or something, is you can't look at me like that. And I think- No, that was how you started a conversation. You'd say you can't look at me like that and not say hi. If you keep looking at me like that, I forget what it was. Well, sorry, you're talking about if you keep looking at me like that, I'm going to kiss you. Yes. So that's a, that's a very separate thing. That's, that's kind of what I'm going for though. That's, that's that's making your intention clear while giving her the opportunity to opt in or out. Because if she keeps looking at you, she is saying, you told me what you're going to do. I want to kiss you. If she avoids eye contact or breaks strongly, you don't kiss her. And right. now you yeah, haven't. It's basically one of the ways leap. that you can check and on a she, kiss before you kiss. But also if she gets a little bit uncomfortable, no, you know, she and she indicates that there's ambivalence there. You don't have to kiss her, but you kind of know that she's potentially interested. You've stated your level of interest. And now this isn't just flirty as like playful. It's flirty like, no, I like you and I'm thinking about kissing you which i think is can i throw out a caveat because people are going to not yeah intuit this i think yeah that isn't that's not something that you would say at random that's something you would say when someone is giving you lingering sexual tension type eye contact Mm -hmm. it was done when there was a vibe that oh i think this person might want to kiss me it's not like it was often done when you were like you know, close dancing on a dance floor. If you looked at each other or something like that, yeah, you're that. sitting at yeah, the bar yeah. and your your faces are close yeah, together. Yeah. It's not it's not something you would say, at like a, in this position, we're just sitting <laughs> on couches. You know what I'm saying? I think it's important yeah. to call this out. Oh, yeah, you wouldn't have a date. I appreciate like, you thinking through. Like, let's say you're let's say you're this, a woman, yeah. and we have where these chairs were about three feet apart. We're playing a board game together. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a date. You don't, mm-hmm. or we don't know what you think, and you look over at me. You're like, hey, it's your turn. I wouldn't just be like, if you keep looking at me like that. I'm going to walk six feet over there and kiss you. Like this was something reserved for when you're like, oh, I think there might be a kiss here actually. Yes. Correct. Correct. Just before we have people. Good call. Um, cool. So yeah, that's, that's what I would say is, is to, it seems like it might've been a long period of time and making that intention clear earlier might've changed things. And also the other thing that I don't know the answer to, is you said, after the kiss, I got friend zoned. Uh, I'd be super curious if we talked to be like, were you friend zoned before the kiss and she allowed you to kiss her? Or were you friend zoned during the kiss because she didn't like kissing you? Like what was the actual, as best you can recall, tell and intuit moment that she said not into this because she it's not, she did kiss you. Yeah, maybe um, it was an hour after the kiss. She was like, yeah, well, you know, I was feeling this an hour ago and now uh-huh. I'm not. Exactly. So knowing exactly when would be helpful. Because truly it might have been, I mean, there was, I'm not even joking, 
point in my life where uh, I got friend zoned during the kiss because I was such a bad kisser. Now, I'm not saying that's <laughs> what happened here, but uh, I was totally in and then I was a terrible kisser and I confirmed that with her friend. So <laughs> uh, it, it, it can happen. Anyways. <laughs> All right. We got one more. Yeah. Um, so my girlfriend recently ended our relationship of two years with the main factor being that she had always felt an underlying anxiety about what my mom thought of her. For context, my mom didn't take well to the fact that we were dating because she essentially lives her life through me and tried to rationalize her behavior by saying I was too young to be in a relationship, even though I'm already 22. Uh, when I began spending some nights at my girlfriend's place, my mom would act resentful and try and make me feel guilty about my choices. Since I live with my parents, it was hard to manage this, and either my mom would be upset at me for progressing my relationship, or my girlfriend would be upset that we were being held back as a couple. I've been feeling very hopeless because anytime I've addressed this issue with my mother, she claims she's acting completely rational and the cycle just continues. What can I do to avoid something like this from happening in the future? I'm also not sure how to tell the breakup to my family, so any advice on how to do that as well would be appreciated. Got it. So I just want to clarify, and this is important. It's not going to feel as good, but your girlfriend didn't break up with you because of your mom. She broke up with you because of how you handle your mom. Yeah, I agree. And... That's important, doesn't feel as good, but it puts the responsibility in a place where it's actionable and where it belongs, which is uh, you could have the craziest mom in the world, the craziest mom in the world, but if you're like, I'm not going to deal with this, I block you, I'm not speaking to you, your girlfriend would not, I'm not saying you should do not this. Not saying you should do this in no, your no, scenario. No, 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 but just- I, I'm just painting, your girlfriend wouldn't have broken up with you. Uh, it's because of the way your mom impacts you way your, and the way yes. you, it impacts you and your behavior and how you treat your girlfriend. Yes, Yes. So this isn't to say you have to cut your mom out. This isn't to say, but it is to say that I think your girlfriend pointed out something well, which is that you are going to need to separate, cut the cord, metaphorically speaking, from your mother and probably to grow up. Unless your girlfriend's completely out of line and your mom is, and I'm misunderstanding something, but it sounds like she's over encroaching. Um, Yeah. And you can do that by continuing to live with her, but drawing strong boundaries and also mostly ignoring her when she calls, just being like, oh, I don't even hear my phone call. Like my phone's just straight up off. So my mom called 19 times, but I don't have any idea. Truly not making your girlfriend's problem at all. (laughs) You know what I mean? She doesn't even need to like, you can share this with her, but she doesn't technically have to know. Now I'm not saying keep it secret. The point isn't tied. The point is if you were to just be like, hey, I'm going to my girlfriend's house and you got there and just turned your phone off, lived your life and then got home and dealt with the consequences your relationship with your mom would be very different, but your relationship <laughs> with your girlfriend would be unaffected by your mom. Yeah. Uh, you could also move out and have a place where you and your girlfriend could hang out that your mom didn't have mm-hmm. ownership of, which is another option. Uh, so yeah, it's, um, so I don't what think do we, you have what to What did we learn out, in this? Why the mom, the mom just is, when he sleeps over, she gives him crap. Like, what is she doing? Do we have any? He said insight? she lives through so, him. Yeah. That according. means she doesn't want him to date, which I don't really follow. Oh, well, no. So I, I don't know if this is the case, but there are these, um, they call it, you might want to look up emotional incest where the mom makes, I don't know what the, her relationship with your dad is, but it, one of the common tropes of emotional incest is that a father who is either absent or emotionally absent causes the mom to live through her little prince of a son who she has, uh, you know, never touches inappropriately, but has, makes her boyfriend in, mm-hmm. in uh, Which, important ways. But, and I, I'm, you can mention this to your mom but just to be clear the solution here isn't just tell your mom hey we're doing emotional incest you need to stop <laughs> it it can all just come from you and your reactions yeah, yeah. And your behavior like you can't do this blah blah i'm 22 so i'm definitely gonna go and i'll see you tomorrow yeah 
<laughs> which would be very challenging for you. But I'm just saying look up emotional incest because it's not easy. And the one who's going to break it off is never the parent who is already 40, 50 years old and mm -hmm. hasn't changed. It's going to have to be you. And I've experienced this uh, through a girlfriend who had to break up with her dad. <laughs> you know what I, mean? like, I just want to clarify again. Not, that doesn't mean that she said I'm breaking up with yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, that's not what it was no, at no, all. But, but it, it was a changing their relationship and mm -hmm. reacting to her father differently. Yes. In a way that's more appropriate to a daughter father. But similar to what you described, which is like sleeping over was a huge issue because if, you know, she, if he knew that she was sleeping over, it was a big problem, which is ridiculous given her age and all this kind of stuff. Living in a house paid for by him, like very similar mm -hmm. stuff that you're describing. And so the solution uh, it's complicated. Now there's behaviors that I can tell you, which is like good behaviors would be move out, have a discussion about firm boundaries, all this stuff. But don't answer the phone when you're with your girlfriend yeah, at yeah. your girlfriend's house. Say Just I'm not going to tolerate this. Don't, don't be talking to your mom on the phone or texting with your mom. Cause I can imagine that being extremely unattractive. If you're like sitting at your girlfriend's house, texting back and forth with your mom, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Or if the conversation you're having with your girlfriend is all about your mom and how she doesn't like that you're there. Yeah. Like all of that is going to really be the opposite of sexy. So, and those, those are all behaviors. But when I saw in her, and I suspect is going to be the case with you, is like, if I took over your body, I could break up with your mom in an instant. It'd be easy for mm -hmm. me to act through you. But the difficult thing is that it's going to be very hard for you to deal with your mother's reactions. Yeah, she's not going to like it. That you, and, you're, and you're not going to like how she reacts back. And then you're going to react by placating her or doing what you normally do. So... Uh, <laughs> I suspect that, you know, look up emotional incest. You might even want a therapist for this because these can be very difficult to untangle and they can have, it's not just about this particular relationship. It's about you like growing up and being a man. Um, it, uh, this, this is a good way in probably to a lot of personal development for yeah. you. No, I agree. And also it's obviously super easy from the outside. So I, I want to call attention to that. The idea that it would be problematic, like how do I explain this to my family? Just you just tell them. Like I don't understand what you, the. There's clearly a concern, I guess, that you have about how they'll react and what they'll think of you and all that kind of stuff. Because when I have a breakup, you know, it just looks like me talking to my parents, and they're like, "Oh, by the way, I'm not seeing this person anymore." Mm -hmm. Like it's not it's not something oh, that why? I even. And you could say why? I don't even yeah. fear the reaction, though. Is what I'm mm -hmm. saying. I, and I think that that's not. Listen, I have my own stuff. Nobody's perfect. But I'm saying the idea that there's how do I manage telling my parents about a breakup? I think that's an interesting that you have that question, I think is interesting. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? hundred percent. Yeah. The fact that that would be a moment that concern was necessary is indicative of the type of relationship that you'd like to shift. Exactly. To the point where like, you should, you just don't hey, mom, uh, you know, just so you know, like me and Julie aren't saying, Oh, I'm sorry. Like that's what you'd like to have, but uh, clearly is not what you're anticipating. Yeah. Um, and you know, how do you say <laughs> yeah, it? But we stopped seeing each other and I think it's your fault. And quite frankly, I would, I would, <laughs> I would, here's what I would, do which which is was the hardest thing for her and this is the advice i gave her my, to to my girlfriend all the time tell as much of the truth as you can and because i think what happens in these emotional incest relationships is that you both live in a fantasy world where you pretend that shit isn't happening or the things are better than they are and so probably what you're maybe nervous about is telling her that she had an adverse effect on this because she's going to get upset by it or whatever um, yeah, she's going to tell you that your girlfriend is crazy. Yeah, tell as much of the truth as you are capable of, and you're not going to get 100% there on day one, but this was like an ongoing thing. So what it looked like was with her, I mean, we've been dating a long time, was, uh, it, dude, it was months. I mean, he, he always knew, like, where are you? Oh, I'm out. It's like, don't say that. Say that you're with me. You know, that was step one. Okay, uh, what time are you coming home tonight? 
tell them 2 a.m. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, tell, you know, yeah, like, no, she, like she, tell she a little bit more. She wants to say more. the answer that's going to have, that's not going to get a negative reaction. Yes. So tell as much of the truth as you can, which is we broke up. Well, what did she say? Tell her what she said and then tell her what you By think. By the way, about yeah, your that. mom is yeah. going to try to make it so that your mom's totally reasonable. Your girlfriend's is totally likely, unreasonable. Is likely, yeah. Is likely to make it that. Or, um, Dude, I, I mean. Oh, how do you feel about it? I'm pretty upset and I'm goes, kind huh, of, yeah, I'm upset. I overreached. And, and here's a feeling that you probably can't stay, honestly. I'm upset about that. I'm really angry at you because I think it's your fault. Which it, well, you know, to be fair, yeah, I mean that you might feel that way, but it's not her fault. It's actually your fault. I, I know, but I'm saying like to honestly express your feelings, just try to be as honest as you can, and you're not going to get 100 percent of the way there. That's totally okay. But I think that's that is the ongoing recipe to extract yourself from this. Is shine the light of the truth on it because this this uh, they these emotionally incesty relationships. If that is in fact what's happening here, I don't have all the data. Uh, they thrive on innuendo and words not spoken and you're both managing the other's perception without addressing it directly. So like the more truth you can shine on it, the more ridiculous it becomes that she's telling you who you can date and who like, yeah, it, 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 it can't survive the truth very well. Um, so yeah. And also behavior changes in your next relationship mm-hmm. where the, you, you, and you can be totally honest with the person without it consuming the evening. You know, mm-hmm. if they ask, Oh, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like you seem like you're in a little bit of bad mood. Oh yeah, my, my mom didn't want me to come here and we had a big fight. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. It's not a big deal. Like, mm-hmm. or, oh yeah, it sucks. Yeah. But then just, let's just talk about something else. It's like, and then make your, your dating life not involve your mother so much. Mm-hmm. Very good. That's it. Wow, well, cool. that's the podcast we're going to, the Patreon. What do we have in Patreon today, Justin? So we're answering questions about uh, the ethics of people in the workplace being friendly for you friendly to you for the purpose of manipulation um relearning charisma post-pandemic when we're allowed to go back out (laughs) Mm. and uh not getting discouraged and then tips for living extremely frugally like charlie in brazil how optimistic that you think we are post-pandemic i i think we are if you're in florida you've been post-pandemic for about a year and a half now so i think i mean i don't even think (laughs) is this a spicy take i think omicron is going to shut everything back down i don't think it is you don't think so no I think we're going the other direction. I disagree. Less well, freedoms. Oh no, I think I, I mean perhaps, but I mean it's it's also because I moved to a place with a backyard and I feel free because I go outside whenever I want. So I take it back. I haven't thought about it at all. Anyways, we're gonna hop over. If you guys want to join Patreon, see us talk about all this stuff. That's where we'll be. It keeps the podcast going. Money in Justin's pocket, roof over Justin's head, food in his belly. <laughs> so Internet for League of Legends. Internet for League of Legends. If you guys want to support the podcast, any amount goes directly to Justin and it keeps us going. So we appreciate that and we'll see the rest of you over there. Peace. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.